The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. What about a new vote? <laughs> I can't initiate a revote until after all the tests have been analyzed and the plan rejected. Hopefully. Hopefully isn't good enough. That's why I bought insurance. You. You don't own me, Rourke. I own you lock, stock, and re-election fund, Mr. Chairman. <laughs> Never forget that. No, I just... Man, are you sure you can pull this off? I guarantee it. Because if you don't, what happens to me? Pray you never find out. Clark, what would you say if I said that I have no idea what they're talking about? But whatever it is, I think it's even bigger than I originally thought. I'd say you're absolutely right. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, February 15th, 2018. I'm Bob Met. I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing, it's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. On the heels of the Nunes memo that was just released... Just a short while ago in the United States, we are joined once again by Western University's Associate Professor of Political Science, Salim Mansour. Welcome again, Salim. Thank you for having me, sir. We'll get our conversation underway right after we remind our listeners that they can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, subscribe to Just Right on iTunes, hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave, Visit us at www.justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of Just Right's social media links, including Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, all of our past broadcasts. Now, Salim, I know that you were quite, can I say the word, excited about the release of this memo called the Nunes Memo. I was excited only in the sense of excitement being, I was anticipating to what extent will the memo was going to open up the curtains on the shenanigans of the Obama administration. And in some ways, we now have the smoking gun in our hand. Kind of excited in the sense that now you have the proof of of everything that we've been leading up to. Exactly. We, We have been talking about Trump election, the attacks on Trump, the smear campaign on Trump, that is the Trump-Russia collusion. We all talked about this in terms of hearsay and rumors and trying to connect the dots without the evidence, except what was in the public domain that was being reported by the mainstream media. There was a fair amount of evidence already there, wasn't there? Right. But it, it, the question was, you know, uh, again, we live in a world of spin. So who was spinning what? You know, I mean, each of these items that was out there, that there had been illegalities uh, inside the Obama administration, the question about how was uh, Hillary Clinton exonerated uh, instead of being indicted for her felonies, that is, in dealing with... Uh, her server in the State Department, the missing email, 33,000 that happened during the election. But none of these we could pin down to the actual working inside the government. But now 
with the Nunes memo, followed up by the memos by Senator Grassley, Chuck Grassley and Senator Bob Goodlatte, a Republican senator that are chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, Committee and the Senate Intelligence Committee. Uh, Devin Nunes is the chairman of the House Permanent Select Intelligence Committee. So that the House memo, we have now got the Senate memo coming out. We are anticipating the Inspector General report from the Attorney General's office or Department of Justice. All of these are based upon hard evidence. These are not hearsay. These are not rumors. These are hard evidence. And it begins with the Nunes memo. So what we now have is that the the hearsay are now being confirmed. That the Obama FBI and DOJ became politicized agency department that ran illegal surveillance on an American citizen, that's Carter Page, based on FISA warrants, that's Foreign Intelligence Service Act warrants, obtained by misrepresentation, if not outright lies, and sought to impugn Trump falsely based on the fraudulent intelligence reports of Christopher Steele, a former British spy that was opposition research done for and paid by the Democratic National Committee and the Clinton campaign. This, in a nutshell, is a far bigger story in magnitudes than was Watergate, which led to the resignation of President Nixon. Mm. I don't want to get bogged down into detail here, Salim, but was the actual surveillance of Carter Page illegal, considering that they did get the warrant from the uh, FISA court? Yes, and that, that's where the revelation of the Nunes memo is so important and so revealing and why the mainstream media and the Democratic members of the House fought so hard to prevent the Nunes memo coming out. For the past one year, these are the same guy, that is the mainstream media, and the Democratic Party have been going around, look, here is Trump. He was in collusion with Putin's Russia based on what? On the Christopher Steele dossier. And this dossier was being circulated in the mainstream media. Now we know for sure that this Christopher Steele dossier was fabricated. But ironically and criminally, it was fabricated by the DNC, by the Democratic Party members. In other words, by the conciliaries of Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton. What we are now coming to know, it's not directly in the Nunes memo, but it is now in the subsequent memo that has been released, which is the uh, Chuck Grassley and Bob Goodlatte's memo, which basically present the redacted actual fees of warrants. So now we see that the warrant was based upon Christopher Steele dossier. So let me explain now Christopher Steele dossier. First of all, who was Christopher Steele? Christopher Steele was an ex-MI6 spy working on Russian affairs in Britain. So he's a British former spy known to FBI and CIA people in America. Christopher Steele was fed by, I'm using the words of James Comey now, the FBI director, salacious and unverified material on Trump and his people, but particularly Trump, that was manufactured by Sidney Blumenthal, 
one of the nastiest guys in the group around Hillary Clinton and another dirty ops practitioner that have served the Clinton family for decades. They manufactured a, a dossier alleging Trump's relationship with Putin's people and the salacious thing as Trump was having, you know, dealings with spies and hookers and, and prostitutes in Moscow and the famous PPP, the golden shower that Trump had, you know, engaged with hookers in, in, in Moscow to pee on the bed on which Obama had slept during his visit to Moscow some years ago. So this salacious and unverified material was manufactured and then it was given to Christopher Steele because Steele is an ex-MI6 guy. Steele then presented this dossier back to FBI saying that these information came from his contacts in Russia. And then this dossier was used by FBI to get the FISA judge give the warrant to spy on this small person in war, small in the sense that he was a remote guy in war in the Trump campaign, Carter, Carter Page. Page. Mm -hmm. Why Carter Page? Because Carter Page had traveled to Russia on his own business. He's an energy specialist. He had traveled to Russia on his own business. But the expectation was that in surveilling Carter Page, they would get to surveil Trump because Trump would possibly be in that circle. So it'll be like a collateral uh, pickup of the conversations up, uh, with exactly. Trump. Exactly. By, by focusing on Carter Page, they would be able to nab Trump and, and, and also Paul Manafort, who for a little while played the role of Trump campaign manager. So now we know, as the Devon memo has pointed out, and here it is, I'm reading from uh, the memo, Steele was a longtime FBI source who was paid over $160,000 by the DNC and Clinton campaign via the law firm Perkins Coie and research firm Fusion GPS to obtain derogatory information on Donald Trump ties to Russia. And then it carries on and on and on. That the FISA application could not have been obtained without the Steele dossier. Did the so, FBI lie then to the FISA court when it has been revealed they actually knew that the dossier had been fabricated and they knew that it had been funded by the Democratic National uh, Committee? Well, and they did not reveal that well, knowledge that, to the that, court. That's, that's exactly what is now being illustrated and demonstrated that is the FBI and the DOJ official, you let me read you directly from the memo, the FBI and DOJ obtained one initial FISA warrant targeting Carter Page and three FISA renewals from the FISC, that is the Foreign Intelligence Service Court, as required by statute, a FISA order on an American citizen must be renewed by the FISC every 90 days, and each renewal requires a separate finding of a probable cause. Then Director James Comey signed three FISA applications in question on behalf of the FBI, and Deputy Director Andrew McCabe signed one. Then Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates then Acting Deputy Attorney General Dana Bonte 
and Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein each signed one or more visa application on behalf of DOJ. All of them knew that Christopher Steele dossier was a fabricated dossier. Paid for by the Democrats. Paid for by the DNC. And they did not reveal that to the court And they did not reveal it to the court. Then why aren't they in jail? Or why not they, aren't they at least in front of a judge trying to explain their behavior? Because the way things work, the FISA court is not a place where you are bringing in a defendant who has a defense lawyer. The FISA court operates on the basis of the government representation, that is the FBI and DOJ official, who are officers of the court. And so therefore, the judge knows that or, or expect that the officers of the court have the responsibility to present documents and papers and issues that have been thoroughly vetted and checked out. So the judges then rely on the officers of the court. This is the way things operate. If the officers of the court are going to abridge or not report the finding, then the judge is left with what has been presented to them. So the judge relied on the officers of the court and issued the warrant. Yes, but certainly so, now that we know that they held withheld information regarding the dossier and their knowledge about its funding, now that that information has been released, certainly somebody is going to say that, why don't you call me now a pair before another court, not Fisk, but another court, and say why you withheld this information? No, no. Well, your question is very legitimate and right. The question is, who was the judge? Will this be revealed? And when will the judge be questioned? How did he review, uh, 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 give the warrant? All of that is work in progress. So we just have to wait, I guess. We just have to wait, because all of this will happen. Well, this has been an illuminating debate, but now it's time for our final... Alicia Machado! <laughs> I'm sorry, what was that? Who was who Alicia Machado? Uh, thank you for bringing that up, Lester. Uh, she is a strong, beautiful, political prop that I almost forgot to mention tonight, even though we already made a web video about her. Uh, Alicia Machado was Miss Universe in 1996. Where did you find this? And Donald Trump called her Miss Piggy. How do you know this? And Miss Housekeeping. That's pretty funny. Mr. Trump, your response. Lester, why are we talking about this woman? We should be talking about the important issues like Rosie O'Donnell and how she's a fat loser. And everyone agrees with me, and I just wanted to bring that up in a presidential debate right at the end, my own volition, good idea, I did it. Secretary Clinton, why are you crying? I'm, I'm sorry, Lester, it's... it's... This is going so well. <laughs> it's going exactly how I'd always dreamed. Time to go to the top. To the man who always knows what's happening. To the man who has never let me down. You don't mean... I do mean... Sore throat. Salim, I've got a, a newspaper article here dated February 1st, which was 
obviously a little bit before the Nunes memo was released, and the FBI adds its concern on release of GOP memos, says the headline, and subheading reads, omissions of fact, and the FBI has expressed, quote, we have grave concerns about the material omissions of fact that fundamentally impact the memo's accuracy, the FBI said. Now, there's nothing else in this article that suggests what facts were omitted. Are, are you aware of any that they have brought up that weren't in the memo that should have been? Well, I mean, this is this was all before the the Nunes memo got officially released, right. which was on a Friday. I think it was February. The but 3rd. I think the FBI had a copy already, and they were already criticizing. Obviously, FBI, yeah. Department of Justice people, all of them had a copy because the president is the ultimate authority to declassify and release it. So the wave of noise that was created for public opinion purpose was that. If the memo is released, it will compromise the FBI and the DOJ in terms of their sources and methods. And their credibility. And their, and their credibility. And now that the, once the memo got released, we found that that was all smoke and mirror. There was no sources and method being revealed. The memo, yes, to put it in context, was prepared by the staff members of the majority members of the House Permanent Select Committee for the majority members. And so all the hundreds and if not thousands of documents that they have gone through over the last year, and many of the most critical documents that the FBI and the DOJ was not willing to hand over to the House and they were obtained on the threat of subpoena, was then digested by the staff members and a memo was prepared highlighting the important points. It was not a memo prepared to reveal the sources and method. That's what we now have the memo. Mm -hmm. I'm holding the memo in my hand, the four pages. What the FBI and the DOJ officials were fighting against, plus the mainstream media, the, the, the de democratic allies in the mainstream media, was that the memo was going to name names. And just as I read the memo a little while ago, it has named names. It is not the FBI people who worked daily to keep America secure in terms of law and order. It is the highest levels of officer in the FBI and DOJ who were compromised, who were breaking the law, who were engaged in surveilling an American citizen. That means undermining his constitutional rights. I mean, you just have got to open your constitution and look at you know, uh, amendment, amendment 4. So that's what they were trying to hide. People have resigned now, and more will resign. The deputy director of FBI, Andrew McCabe, who indicated to the House Intelligence Committee and the Senate that without the Christopher Steele dossier, they would not have gotten the FISA court warrant to surveil Carter Pay. He has resigned. Peter Stroke, Lisa Page, these officials have either been removed from their positions or been demoted. Sally Yates, the Deputy Attorney General, has been fired. So there are going to be many other people. James Comey, the FBI director, was fired. So the question so, is... So, so, when, so when they release a statement like this, we have concerns about material omissions. Am I reading too much into it no, when I say that the FBI is, has not reformed yet, that they still <laughs> want to keep their, their, their crooked ways about them? What you're reading is, again, the press that is in the pocket of the DNC. Okay. So what has happened over the last couple of years, 
That it, during yeah, it, this, it did seem during, self-serving, this, that's for sure. Yeah, during this Trump election and so on, that the press has demonstrated that they no longer have any credibility. Right, yeah. That's what has happened. So, so I'm reading it right then. then that, that begs the question, where are the Carl Bernsteins and Bob Woodwards out there? We're relying on the president and his Twitter account. We're relying on actual memos from uh, committees from the House. We're, we're going direct to the source and we're bypassing all of the media who have almost, I would say, a constitutional duty as being the press of exposing this and talking about it, and they're not. Not, not at least to the degree that they should be. Well, there, there are two parallel stories that is going on here. One is what we are discovering, that is the American public discovering as a result of the various hearing that is going on, the extent to which the Obama FBI and the DOJ was compromised and have subverted the constitutional principle. On the other side, the parallel side, is the extent to which the American mainstream media has become the arm of the Democratic Party. It's not anymore an independent watchdog for the public. So the Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward's quote unquote, who were the watchdog for the public, bringing the story of the deep throat. Now we know who the deep throat was. It was a former FBI official, Mark Felt, who revealed the stories to, in terms of follow the money, you know, with, with Richard Nixon, who were the watchdog or trying to be the watchdog. Today, they are the extension of the Democratic Party. That's how much the corruption has taken place. That's another story. So is, is there any hope? Are we, are we looking at a situation where can this be recovered? Can Trump do anything about this? Clean up the FBI? How, how, how is that process? Well, the, it is being cleaned up. As the, the story, story is being revealed, it, the process has begun. Okay. You know, this is going on. I mean, by one by one, the pillars will now fall. The issue is how far it will go. It is no longer a hypothetical issue or theoretical and abstract issue. It is a real issue. Remember, it was a Democratic president, the famous statement made by the Democratic president, Harry Truman, the buck stops here. So nothing happens in American politics, that is when it comes to the executive branch and the right doings or the wrong doings, that does not end up where the buck stops, which is so that, precedence stable. That, that means that Obama knew something. Precisely, because how could the an FBI director, attorney general... Here you have two cases, for instance. Um, the attorney general, Loretta Lynch, meeting... We are now talking in the context of the Trump-Russia uh, collusion story that was fabricated, meeting with Bill Clinton, the spouse of the Democratic nominee, on a tarmac few days before James Comey comes up and exonerates Hillary Clinton of any wrongdoing because she had no intention of, do, uh, of, of any wrongdoing, even though what she had done in a case of somebody else would have been a direct violation of all statutory requirements and would have been therefore indicted for felony. That is so, having her own private server and sharing emails to precisely, people. Precisely, because all of this begins in July of 2016 when James Comey went 
public and said that they have investigated Hillary Clinton, that is his officials, they have uh, interviewed Hillary Clinton, they have found out about the missing documents, 33,000 emails were missing. Uh, how did we come to know about that? That was through WikiLeaks, Julian Assange, that there were these leaks taking place. They had hacked John Podesta's email. John Podesta was the campaign manager for Hillary Clinton and had been the chief of staff for Bill Clinton. And so James Comey goes up and says, well, these have happened, but she's not responsible. She had taken the State Department highly classified documents and used her private server to communicate her State Department responsibility when she was a Secretary of State. And James Comey says she had no intention of breaking the law. So they exonerate Hillary Clinton and they flip over to manufacture a story to indict Trump. And all of this was done on the assumption that Hillary Clinton will win. And that and all not, this will be covered up. And all will be covered up and none of these will matter. Mm -hmm. Okay? Well, that speaks to a tremendous, that speaks to a tremendous inside corruption on a scale that we can't even think about. Well, they call it, it the deep state. It even has a name, the deep state. Is that right? Precisely. Yeah. So the, the corruption now, as, as, as I just finished pointing out to you, far exceeded magnitude anything that was Watergate. I mean, when... Uh, Watergate was nothing compared to this. Nothing compared nothing. to this. Watergate's fact, this, a that joke. was a nothing burger. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I shouldn't dismiss Watergate. I mean, a break-in at the Democratic headquarters was not a nothing. However, I mean, in comparison, this is momentous. This is, this is something that strikes at the very structure of American uh, society and its institutions. And, and, and the question of that the, the government agency, in fact, agency like the FBI and the Department of Justice is completely nonpartisan, cannot be used by any political party or their senior leaders, that would mean going all the way up to the president, for partisan purpose. And that is what happened. The FBI and the DOJ was weaponized by Obama to go after his political opponents. Well, that was the charge against Richard Nixon during Watergate. Mm -hmm. And that was the question that came up ultimately in the Watergate hearing when a Republican senator asked the question of a Republican president, how much did he know and when did he know it? And here you have the Democratic Party and its members basically pulling the wagon around to defend a Democratic nominee and a Democratic president who had weaponized the FBI and the DOJ. That's the distance we have come in the past, how many years is it? 45 years, yeah. or thereabouts counting, you half know, a century. In, in American culture, music culture, video, movies, they demonize Richard Nixon, and yet... Here was a president who, faced with the fact that he did something wrong, did the honorable thing and stepped away and resigned. That speaks to honor. Absolutely. What about Obama? Absolutely. How much 
dishonor can you impose upon yourself by just staying there and continuing to do what you did and compound the problem? And, and when you're faced with the allegations, dismiss them and shrug them off and, and blame it on your opponents. Obama has to be the most dishonorable president in living memory. Absolutely. And, and we can then go, go in to discuss, and, and future historians will have to discuss, that all of this ultimately goes back to Obama and what sort of a man Obama is and was during the term he served in office. In my view, Obama was not an American patriot. Definitely not. I said that from day one. Yeah, Obama was thoroughly corrupted. His soul was totally warped. He was and is and remained a Saul Alinsky communist who the American public mistakenly elected twice and who was committed to subvert American republicanism, American law and order system. And it is not simply that Trump's winning was not only closing the books on the Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, more than two decades of political dominance inside the Democratic Party. It was also closing the books on Obama. And now, as a result of Obama's shenanigans through his FBI and DOJ, opening the books on that administration so that the American public can see. So I guess Donald Trump wrapped it up perfectly with this headline, a lot of people should be ashamed. (laughs) I hear it's freezing. Sore throat's choice. He's a creature of habit. Here, take my jacket. (gasps) Ah, you should dress more warmly, miss. This is the cold and flu season. Allergies, they're killing me. Always good to see you, Perry. Who are they? Uh, two of my best reporters. Uh, this violates our agreement. My understanding was I speak only to you. Well, it, it doesn't violate it exactly. It just expands it. Please, uh, trust me. Well, okay. Just this one time. What can you tell us about... Project Shockwave. Where'd you hear that name? We have reason to believe that uh, Thaddeus Rourke is working with Congressman Ian Harrington to sabotage Project Shockwave, which is due to be tested. At dawn tomorrow, I know all about it. Project Shockwave. An experimental coastal defense network. A couple of years ago, the Navy began lobbying for their own Star Wars system. Several proposals were made. The Navy picked Shockwave. Rourke system was runner-up. Can you tell us who's behind Shockwave? Luther Technologies. Mr. Throat, what do you suggest we do? Well, you could take whatever evidence you have to the Navy, but they'd probably accuse you of espionage. This test is top secret. Or you could just publish your theories. Force the Navy to cancel the test. Face government censure, a slew of lawsuits. All you could do, what I'm gonna do. What's that? Get out of town. I need a drier climate. That's it? That's your advice? The great sore throat has spoken? What did you expect to hear? Follow the money? You know, I never understood that. 
You're looking good, Paul. Never felt better. Family? Just great. Cynthia's like my right arm. She thrives on campaigning. My wife's the same. <laughs> we got lucky, huh? That was some speech you delivered last week. Wish I'd been there to watch those chicken hearts squirm. Well, sir, I had an opportunity to address some of the issues. Thousands of homeless people in everybody's hometown were selling off the United States. A piece here, a piece there. What's next? General Electric? Ford Motor Company? If we don't take positive action, Governor, these United States of America will be up for grabs. And I sincerely believe it's time the American people know what's going on. Amen to that. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Be sure to visit www.justrightmedia.org. Sample some of our timeless archive broadcasts featuring past discussions of all things Just Right about freedom and capitalism. Salim, because this has all come to light, albeit very, very painfully slowly, does that speak to the longevity of the American institution, perhaps? It's, it's rightness. It does in the following sense. The American Constitution provides for the self-correction of the American society. And so ultimately it is we the people in whose name the Constitution exists. It is we the people who are sovereign. And the we the people can begin to change and self-correct. And so all of this story that we are talking about is going to have huge implication for the outcome of the 2018 election. So yes, there is that self-correction, but it all again depends upon whether the story is told, whether the analysis is done, whether the public is brought to the attention of the public. And for that, you need the media, and for that, you need people who run for public offices, who are prepared to stand up against whatever is the prevailing consensus and the power of what we have now come to know, the deep state. The deep state, uh, in that sense, is unanswerable to anyone if nobody is going to challenge them. And if Hillary had won, none of these things that we are talking about, we would be talking about it. Because, it's because the age-old question, who watches the watchers? Well, who, what would you say is the weakest link in the American chain of civility? I think the weakest link is information and the public public awareness and the so public willing to stand media. up. You raise an interesting question: What has happened to the Carl Bernstein and the Bob, Bob Woodward? Yeah. Uh, they were they were they were writing for the Washington Post. Yes, ironically, yes, yeah. today, ironically, and we still have the Washington Post. And but here's the interesting thing, Robert: the Washington Post in the 1970s that reported on Nixon's shenanigan. The owner was Catherine Graham, who had taken it on from her husband and. Her chief editor was Ben Bradley, and they did what they did in the sense that they defied the deep state or they defied Nixon in publishing the record. Well, today, the Washington Post is owned by Jeff Bezos, the richest man in the world, the owner of Amazon. Jeff Bezos is the rival of uh, Donald Trump. The same Washington Post in the ownership of Jeff Bezos is where comes the monopoly in terms of information. They decide what information will be there for the public and what won't be there. The journalists are simply paid hacks. So they just do, do what they're told. Yeah, they do what they're told. If Ben Bradley and Catherine Graham had not gone along to publish 
Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward, there wouldn't be any story. You know, I think what we need here is a, another Me Too hashtag, and it should be the revelation of journalists whose integrity, whose virginity, whose honor have been besmirched by powerful corporations, powerful people who have told them, you do this or else you'll never work in this town again. It's, it, the parallels to the Hollywood sex scandals is, is eerie and ominous. Robert, again, we, history is full of ironies and paradox. So as we discuss what has happened to the mainstream media over the last 50 years, as it has drifted to the left and become an extension of the Democratic Party and is owned by the billionaires, there's something else that has happened. You and Bob are, in a small way, an indicator of that something else that has happened, that is the growth of the alternative media in an age of World Wide Web and Internet. So and shortwave. So, and so, shortwave yeah. so and so, isn't so, the so age, is, Isn't the age of the paid hack then almost over? No, don't don't what, they get that? Because no, they're, they're competing with the, the audience to which they're feeding their garbage Precisely. To. And what happened? I mean, look at it. What happened in the 2016 election? 90-plus percent of the mainstream media tried to destroy Trump. What was Trump's counter-response to that? The alternative media mm -hmm. that Twitter. went 90% on the other side, right? And Trump won. So again, we are back to the correction system, the yin and the yang. So the voices have to be there. We have to fight for those things that we treasure. We treasure freedom. What? It's not an abstraction. We have to fight for freedom, right? right. We, tre we treasure free speech. It's not an abstraction. We have to fight for it. That's what has happened. The Tea Party movement in America, you know, the, the rise of the forces in American politics within the conservative side of the issue that challenged the rhinos. And you saw how Trump, who was a total outsider, came in and destroyed 17 rivals sitting members of the Republican Party, all in very important position. That means governors, senators, congressmen. And Trump was an outsider. So the power of the people is there to tap in, whether it is in America, whether it is in Canada, whether it is in Europe. The question is whether the people who want to change the situation are willing to take the risk take the leadership, and connect with the people. The evidence is there. What happened with Brexit? Brexit did not have the stirring leadership, the prime ministers and others to lead that campaign. It was the common people who ran mm -hmm. it, you see, now, against the vested interests of the elite. What, and they what? beat the vested interests. One of the things that fi I find fascinating is you're talking about the owner of the Washington Post and, and Amazon. Why... Is there that hatred of Trump from these people to the degree that these people would be able or be willing to risk their own reputations, you know, as even being uh, an impartial reporter in any way? What is the hatred with Trump? Uh, it, it obviously preceded his run for the U.S. president. What is, what is that all about? Well, I mean, if you put aside the cosmetic uh, arguments about Trump, boorish, buffoon, mm -hmm. uh, ill-mannered, outsider, put all of those aside. Which, which, by the way, were only allegations after he came forward as a nominee. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. right. <laughs> uh, the substantive issue is 
the ideas that Trump came to represent, whether those ideas he had already thought through in details or whether he pulled up those ideas because those ideas were circulating among that group of discontented Americans that had run with the Tea Party movement, for instance. That is the idea that America was becoming just like any other country. Remember when, when Obama went around the world and he said American exceptionalism is no different than Greek exceptionalism or Polish exceptionalism and so on and so forth. Sounding very much like our Trudeau. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the notion of American exceptionalism for the American people, or at least the people that still believe in that, is the uniqueness of America in terms of its constitutional order based upon the American Bill of Rights, that is the first 10 amendments, and we the people are sovereign, which goes back to something that we have talked about, and we need to talk about it at greater length, which is the notion of a sovereign state. The whole idea of a sovereign state over the past 25 years since the end of the Cold War had come to be knocked out by the idea that we are entering a borderless world in which a global elite will manage and tell us how to live our lives. And so the two issues that have arisen is do we defend our nation state, our country, against the concept of a borderless world where we hand over the way that we live, the, our traditions, what we value to unelected, unknown, anonymous body of global elites who gather annually at Davos, for instance, or at the United Nations and tell us whether it is you know, uh, climate change or whether it is defense policy or, or, or business issues, uh, this is how it is going to be or whether we are going to make laws for ourselves. So Trump represented, as he has repeatedly said, since he got elected and before the election, during the primaries, his policy is going to put America first, make America great again, disconnected with the people. That is the people who voted for him, that is who voted for America, as opposed to the coastal elite, the Democratic Party, the media. I mean, we just pointed out the Washington Post is now owned by the richest man in the world, Jeff Bezos. They stand for globalism. They stand for a borderless world. So this is ideological for them, not personal. It is an ideological thing. Look at the irony. Who stood for the borderless world in the period leading up to the Bolshevik Revolution of 1917 and then through the Cold War years? It was the Communist Party, isn't it? Mm -hmm. The workers of the world unite. You know, uh, it was a borderless world. You know, in, in a sense, you could say that Hitler's Germany fought for a borderless world because it ran over those borders and got rid of them. <laughs> yes, in, 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 in the small sense, yes, but in the larger sense, no, because Hitler's growth, development, winning the election of 1933 and so on, he was supported by the power elites in Germany at that time, was to confront and defeat the communists. Well, they were competing socialists, the fascists and the communists. That's a, again, you are entering another argument, socialism, that is National Socialist Party. But look, the companies like Siemens, BMW, Mercedes, Krupps, these were giant German conglomerates. They supported Hitler. Why did they support Hitler? Ominous parallels. Be the socialist part of the Nazi thing, National Socialist Workers' Party, the socialist party is like 
In the case of India, India is a socialist, secular republic. It is a label. What they but mean the, by that the, is cronyism. Yes. Uh, In other words, they want favor from the, yeah, from the government. Yeah, yeah. Populism, you might say, populism. But the, the German Reich under Hitler was not becoming a communist state which is what Stalin became, or what Stalin was. Mm. So, I mean, I think we have to both see where there are commonalities and where we see the differences. The differences were great. It is the Marxist argument of a borderless world. And today the globalists have merged with that Marxist idea. Newkirk, what are you doing here? Colonel, I have to talk to you. Somebody could have spotted you. That was a crazy thing to do. Only an Englishman will leave a beautiful girl at a time like this. That's what I want to talk to you about, sir. I know. You asked for a hand in marriage, and you want one of us to be the best man. <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, sir, she's not your average Nazi. That's for sure. I like her legs a lot better than Herman Goering's. <laughs> she doesn't want to do those propaganda broadcasts. She has to. The Gestapo are holding her family hostage. And you've fallen for her. Yes, sir. And that's why I'm not going through with the broadcast. Not going through with the broadcast? Why? If the Gestapo suspect I gave out a coded message, they might guess that she set it up, and you know what that would mean, don't Newkirk, you? Newkirk, we got to get that message through to headquarters. A lot of people are dependent on you. A lot of English people. LeBeau, you know how I feel. Nobody knows more about love than a Frenchman. <laughs> I knew you'd understand. But the one thing a Frenchman loves more than a beautiful woman is la belle France. Two page one stories in as many days, you should be very proud of yourself. It's an unexpected start, I'll say that. To me, it's not unexpected at all. You're a man of vision. Isn't that what they say? I am a man of action. Do you remember Charles Foster Kane? Of course. My idol, even though he was only a movie character. I've devoted my time to becoming the genuine article. Aren't you already? Not quite. You see, Kane not only reported the news, he made it. He set out an agenda for the entire country. And then he had his papers promote that agenda. And the country went along. And soon, I will have that kind of power. Does that excite you as much as it excites me? Bob, you mentioned, or you commented about not understanding why a Jeff Bezos or a multi-millionaire, maybe a George Soros, as an, exa- as an example, would want to break the law or turn a blind eye to the law or to destroy a president who is pro-freedom, pro-capitalist. And I was struck this morning by an email you sent out to our local coffee clutch, Salim, where you talk about how California has changed from a rather Republican state maybe 30, 40 years ago. And Ontario, here Ontario, is a rather conservative province of Canada, again, about 30-odd, 30, 40 years ago. And what it was, respectful of globalism, that changed them to the ultra-left-wing 
jurisdictions that they are today. Can you explain? Well, I'll explain it, but I would caution first to use the word ultra-left and so on. It is left uh, in in the current div- uh, divide of what I have posed for you. Uh, globalism on the one side and the nation state on the other side. And why this has happened and why are people like Jeff Bezos or Josh Soros, the Bill Gates and others pushing for a borderless world, that they are the alumni of uh, the Davos Club, if we might use that term, Davos Club now. Or Bilderbergers, same sort of thing. Yeah, okay. There are any number of reasons that we can put forward here that, for discussion, but one of the thing is that these multi-multi-billionaires running huge corporations want the global market. They want to be players in the world. For them to be members of America or Canada or United Kingdom is a very small place in that sense of the term. The globe is now where the action is and they want to shape the world. And on the other side are the people, Trump is now the, the one, the leading member of that group that wants to defend the traditional order that is based upon the nation state and that the people within the nation state make the laws. So what has happened in California, as an example that I was saying, the California that was a generation ago pretty much a Republican state or elected Republicans. I mean, after all, California elected Ronald Reagan twice as the governor and has a long record. Richard Nixon came from California and California was the richest state in the American Union. And today, California has become uh, a left-wing, quote-unquote, progressive state where it is democratic and it is in deep trouble. It is a debtor state. The business are running away. People who want to are getting out of California. What has happened? Well, one thing that has happened, that is the elephant in the room that nobody wants to touch, especially the progressive politician, whether it is in California, whether it is a democratic leadership because they are aiding and abetting it, or whether they are in Canada or whether they are in, in, in Europe. That is the global immigration. These people have understood that if you open up the borders and let the world pour in to their countries, that would then basically destroy the traditional system of that country because the new immigrants, whether they're legal or illegal, they have no historical memory of the society they're entering into. That is, they have no historical memory of California that was California before the 1970s or 1980s. Sure, no tradition or culture that goes back ingrained in the in the exactly. minds of people. Exactly, a culture is something that is passed on. Correct. And there has to be historical memory and historical interest. So California has changed with the mass influx of the Hispanics, legal or illegal, and as you can see. San Francisco. I lived in San Francisco in 1973 for a year. A great city. Remember the Tony Bennett song, I left my heart in San Francisco, you know? I had no idea. Yes, I I was in San Francisco for a year before I came to Canada. Now San Francisco is a sanctuary city. It's a dump. The last time I visited San Francisco, I was reminded of Calcutta, people sleeping on the streets of San Francisco. Okay? So that's what has happened to this great city or to this great state. So... Jeff Bezos is not an idiot. I mean, he's obviously not an idiot. Bill Gates (laughs) is not an idiot. 
George Soros is not an idiot. No, they're not. And yet, they cannot see that when you destroy the United States, which is their intent by having open immigration, getting rid of the, the borders, having a globalist agenda, that whenever you do that to a free society, it destroys that society so that it becomes impoverished. And so when you have an impoverished society, they are not going to be making their billions of dollars because we're all going to go back to the bloody Stone Age because of their globalist left-wing ideologies. That's right. So your first premise is in that sense erroneous. It's not about that they are stupid people or foolish people. It is that the system that is America as given by the founding fathers is now become a constraint on the values and ambition of what these people want. So they just want to make money quick before they die and then damn the rest of us. Whether it's money quick or whether it is that America is more, what America represents is more and more an anomaly in a world that we are living in in the 21st century. Nancy Pelosi got up in the house and she spoke endlessly about about what she wants. What she wants is another America, a different America, an America of rainbow colors because the current America is despicable. It is made up of deplorable people. She only wants one color, red. Okay, whatever. So the (laughs) the point, I mean, mean, that is that, I mean, let's get into the substance of it. What Hillary Clinton said was not something arcane and erroneous. This is the deep-seated feeling that the people in the flyover country, the people who march on July the 4th, Trump has called for a great march, and these people, are, their heads are exploding, who are patriots, you know, they are deplorable because they want to keep asserting that we, the people, will make the decision rather than the people in Washington, the elite, the people of the swamp will make the decision. The Saul Alinsky Obama will make the decision. So the question is not that they're stupid. There is a clear-cut division now, extremely pronounced. During the Cold War, that division was between free society, that is, capitalist society, and communist society. Well, communism failed. It is not Jeff Bezos is becoming a communist. It is that Jeff Bezos and George Soros and the whole lot of these DeVos people, they believe that capitalism cannot be simply the market anarchy. It has to be control, it has to be fashion, it has to be discipline, and they are the people who can do that. They're elitists. So the example is, I mean, look, our prime minister, the current prime minister, he said, I hope you will remember that, he said how much he admires the authoritarian politics of China. China. What is the authoritarian politics? China is the most capitalist country, but is run by one political party. I mean, the Chinese second revolution was Deng Xiaoping, but Deng Xiaoping is a, was a communist leader. He opened up the Chinese market brought in the investment. China today is headed out to be the the second, maybe the largest economy in the world by the middle of the century, if if China carries on in the direction that it's going. But it is a one-party state. So this is what it is all about. It is a one-party. Yes, so we will have the American flag, we will have the American passport, but 
is a borderless world. It is the people who will run America will be the Chuck Schumers. What did Chuck Schumer say to Donald Trump a few months ago? In fact, he warned Donald Trump that if you go after the spies, after the FBI, they have seven ways to come back at you. That is, the deep state has seven ways to come back at you. You manage the deep state. You don't disembowel the deep state. Because to disembowel the deep state means you re-empower the people. That's what we are talking about. We're talking about defending the, ten, the Bill of Rights, that is the, the, the Ten Amendments. What is the First Amendment? Free speech. What is the Second Amendment? Bearing arms. What is the Third and the Fourth Amendment? The right to property, the right not to be charged without a probable cause, right? So as long as you stick to those so principles, already, you're already destroying the deep state without having to attack it directly. Is that what you're saying? No, what way? I'm saying is the deep state has been in operation. The yes. deep state manufactured a dossier and charged Carter Page for spying and ruined him. But if it's coming back at Trump in seven different ways, as you say... Well, that's he won, and that's why oh. Trump, Trump has been able to fight back because he's relying on the people, and that's what the fight is taking place. The fight is not over. What we haven't got into the discussion is what all of this means for the 2018 election. Isn't that ironic, I guess, that when you have countries with the word people in it, like Democratic People's Republic of China or North Korea, or you have Trudeau saying, we don't say mankind, we say people kind, and power to the people, and we the people. The thing is that when you have certain people who want to control people, it only ends in bloodshed and misery and destruction. And yet the irony, I guess, is that it is the common person, the American voter, the Canadian voter, who live in the flyover states and provinces. And it, it is those people that hold the real power if they choose to take it. Exactly. And they can only take it if they know what they're taking. So we have to fight the mainstream media. We have to fight the public schools, the teachers who are teaching left-wing neo-Marxist progressive policies and, and, and ideologies in the school system. We have to go back and pick up a book and learn where we came from and to pick out those principles and ideologies that work and propagate them throughout society. And I guess that's what we're doing here, Bob. I guess so. And, and we, the people who host this show, are now under the constraint of ending it because of the time. Uh, Salim, thank you so much for joining us once again and bringing us up to date on this very important issue that everyone should know about and be concerned about. Join us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right. And be right back here. We'll see you then. Power to the people, baby. <laughs> Color into black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be alright That was very good, Newkirk <clears throat> Oh, I, I don't think I could be as convincing as you if my heart wasn't in it My heart is in it But I thought they were old in your family I have no family That is our way of testing I must be quite sure that the prisoner is sincere And the kiss? That was from the Fuhrer well, anyway, I'm glad they sent you. Why? I'd hate to kiss a man with a moustache. <laughs> yeah, I knew he'd come through. Yeah, so did I. Uh, frankly, I thought it was touch and go. Frankly, I wouldn't have done it. 
But you said a Frenchman loves his country more than a beautiful woman. Are you crazy? You can always find another country, but you can't always find a beautiful woman. 